Good evening. Good evening. You know, I have a really good friend, and she never met a microphone she didn't love, and that's not me. <laughs> um, but I'm happy to be here with all of you tonight, so thank you for coming. You know, I remember a fifth grade teacher of mine saying one time that there are three different kinds of people in this world. One group of people make things happen. Another group watch things ha watches things happen. And the third group says, what happened? <laughs> and so I always thought, I want to be in that first group. I want to make things happen. And that was kind of what, what drove me from one thing to the next as I went through the rest of my schooling. After graduating from college in 1981, having studied journalism and soci sociology, um, it took until 1985 to really land that job in my dreams. And that was working as a, a vice president of production for a direct marketing company downtown Chicago. It was cool. I had an expense account, and I drove a fancy car, and I caught planes, and I hopped planes, and I met planes, and I had customers. My clients were National Geographic and Smithsonian and American Home Insurance and um, Reader's Digest. Like when the Reader's Digest sends a thing for sweepstakes and you're going to become a millionaire and all that. Well, I, I, was, I did that. I put that together for, for, uh, for companies and institutions. And um, it was a lot of fun. I got to work with design people, marketing people, and they'd come up with a plan, and I'd, I'd figure out how to make it come together. And so I worked with printers, and I worked with uh, letter shops and bulk mail centers, and just, just really it was life in the fast lane, but, but I loved it. I loved the deadlines, I loved the pressure, and I was thriving. So we were able to buy a house in Park Ridge, and we traveled, my husband and I traveled a lot, and um, we were living a pretty good life. And I always figured that we'd have children, we wanted them. At some point it would happen when it was supposed to. Um, but nonetheless, I was surprised the summer of 1988 when I was pregnant. And I only found out I was pregnant because I was hospitalized with these blood clots. And didn't know why my body was, and I was just kept having blood clots, and they said, maybe she's pregnant. <laughs> And that was me. I was having a problem with my blood needing to thicken up with the estrogen and, and without getting into too much of, but the more, as, my, as the months went on, the thicker my blood became and the more blood thinner I was needing to have. And they were having a very hard time trying to find a therapeutic level to keep my blood thin enough. So I was in and out of the hospital for two week stays, three different times. Um, and so that was really not a lot of fun and it was very difficult to be able to keep my job going. I mean, I couldn't fly, obviously, because of the blood clots, and I had an IV hooked up to me for weeks and weeks and weeks, and it seemed like I'd go home and everything was fine, and then, boy, I'd be back in the hospital with yet one more blood clot and up in my groin, and it was just a mess. Well, I was doing everything I could by the bedside. I was conference calling, and I was doing FedEx and my assistant would come to the house and to the hospital and my boss would come and I, I was doing everything I could do but it was pretty clear after about six weeks of trying to do that bedside at Lutheran that just things were falling between the cracks and there really needed to be somebody there to, to handle a lot of the stuff in, in person. So it was with much um, sadness that we came to the realization that we needed to give my accounts to somebody else. And um, that was probably about the hardest thing, besides losing my mother when I was 19, to have to even, even think of going through. Um, it was who I was. That's what I'd worked so hard to be and to do. And I had sacrificed a lot to get to that point. 
but I was being rewarded. I was doing a good job. I got bonuses and raises, and you know that was the dream. So I remember calling my husband, crying on the phone, and saying, "Well, we made this big decision now, and I can't. I can't. I'm not going to." I have to give up my job, and my great and my husband said, "Well, thank God, because you're making you're nuts. You're making us all nuts, and, and you're putting way too much pressure on yourself. Just try to get yourself well and, and get through this pregnancy." And I said, "You don't understand. This is who I am. I I I, I, didn't, I you know this baby's going to come, and we're going to get a, a sitter. I'll be home for six weeks, but this 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 job is, is who I really am. I love the child, but I I just I'm just." not identifying at all with that part. And he just was very calm about it and said, don't cry and call me later and all that. Well, I was, I just was inconsolable. The nurses would come in to give me medicine and I'd cry. And they'd say it would be okay and I'd cry. And it was about 2 o'clock in the morning and the door opened and my, my obstetrician came walking in. He had just delivered a baby. He was in his scrubs. Old guy, Dr. Berman, and he said, you know, I hear you're having a hard night. And I said, I'm having a terrible night. And he just walked right over and said, do you want to hear the heartbeat of your baby? And I, he, he didn't really even wait for an answer because I really didn't, I don't know, I just wasn't there. And he just put the stethoscope on my belly and put the earpiece in and I could hear this boom, 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 boom. And I thought, oh my gosh. There is, and it's like there is something in me here, and it was like the gates of heaven opened up and I could feel all this light and all this love. I can't explain it in any way but that, and that really doesn't do it justice. Which is like all of a sudden it just washed over me and it's like, this is my identity, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This, this, this is important, wake up. So I remember, you know, I don't really remember much about that except for calling Greg then at about 2.13 in the morning. <laughs> I said, you're never going to believe what happened. And I told him all about it, and we both were crying tears of joy. And he said, your, uh, your identity, your job is to carry our baby full term. And I want you healthy, I want the baby healthy, and we'll go from there. Don't worry about anything. It'll all fall into place. And so it did. And it wasn't without more sacrifice, and it wasn't without changing my lifestyle, and it wasn't without, oh, other things that came along. But... To keep it, keep it really to the point of um, have the baby and it was the best thing in the world for me at that time. Um, I learned uh, to draw closer to my faith, to draw closer to the church, and by doing that I got involved at St. Paul the Cross. Um, there was a new mother's group. Father Kinane had asked Lois Klein, who used to head up social service ministry and started in the 70s. That's when um, she started the program here. And I got to know Lois, and she said, well, why don't you go to a new mother's group, and I did. And so that connected me with the church, and I helped find things in common. And um, pretty soon I was volunteering with Lois and working with poor people, and I was um, getting involved around town doing um, information and referrals. And then she wanted to retire, and Father Kinane asked me, when Zach was five years old and was going to go off to kindergarten, would I like to work full-time on staff here and be social service minister. And I said, well, Father Kinane, I just don't really know what I have to offer um, in this department. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I know journalism, I know sociology, and I understand um, family services, and there's some other credentials, but I, you know, I really don't know. And he said, you, you know, you, you've got the right instinct, and God will teach you. 
So anyway, it's 19 years later and I'm still here, but um, it isn't without bumps and bruises along the way and having to have um, a lot of meekness and humility and learn from God and, and from the people that God sends into my path. Um, I remember early on, I was um, in my office and the doorbell rang and I went down and there was a Middle Eastern lady there and she couldn't speak English very well. And I didn't understand her at all, but she was hungry and she wanted some food. And so I took her into our little pantry. It was a small little closet at that point. It wasn't big like it is today. And um, anyway, so, you know, I never wanted to hover. I kind of was straightening the soup and fixing up the jellos and just trying to, you know, be there, but certainly not, not you know, be in her way or make her feel badly. And so she kept going over to the cake mixes and picking up this Halloween cupcake kit where you get the sprinkles and you get the, the special color and, and, and you get the frosting and the little little papers that say ghosts and things. And she looked at it and then she put it back. And she went to something else and then she picked it up and looked at it and did this three times. So finally I went over and said, no, take this. And I went to put it in her, in her bag. I said, you can have this. And she was doing all kinds, but what it all came down to is she did not have a cupcake pan to make those cupcakes. And here I was thinking, Lady, Lady Bountiful, here, take this, take this, take this, never even, even knowing the reality of her, of, of her existence. She didn't even have a cupcake pan. And how often had I made cupcakes for Zach in his classes and with his friends and with my girlfriends and she didn't have a pan. So that was pretty humbling for me. Um, at that moment and I went out and I got a cupcake pan and actually she came back the next month and she had that, I gave it to her. So that, that, was, that was a learning. And then the second one that I'll share is um, about a guy named Richard. Richard, Richard was the son of a, remember Sanford and Son? They drove a jump truck around. Well, he worked with his dad on that kind of a situation and his father died and Richard didn't have anywhere to go. The truck broke down and he lived in the woods sometimes and sometimes he got himself straightened out and he would go for job interviews or he'd be a ready man and do temporary service and he'd get his life on track and he was only like 23, 24 years old, really handsome kid and had, you know, really earnest eyes and just really wanted to make things work and so I was working with him. And he came up short with, he needed a place to stay for about three days. And we, uh, that hotel that used to be on the corner of um, Tui and uh, Waukegan, there was a travel lodge or something there. They would take our church checks and I could send people there and they understood our situation here. And so Richard came in and said, I need, I need to do that again. I just need, I just need two nights, if you could please just just do two more nights and whatever he said convinced me that yeah let's it's been a while let's do that so I called up just to make sure that this is legitimate and that they knew Richard was coming and I was going to send a check and so on and they said we don't we won't let him come here anymore last time he was here he trashed the place he had wild drunken parties and uh, he's banned not going to happen well I couldn't believe it couldn't believe that this kid took me for a ride I couldn't believe that he took advantage of our, our resources. I couldn't believe, I, I, I felt so taken and manipulated. So I yelled at him. I lost it. I figured Jesus could lose it, so could I. I said, how could you do this? How could you lie? How could you use, if you had money to get drunk and make a party, then you didn't need my money to have this room. And people give this money to social service ministries so that they know that it's being spent the right way and look it. Look what, we, look what you've done. 
And so he starts yelling back at me, and I just kept breathing, and I was shaking. I was so upset. And then he said, well, can I at least go to the food pantry then? Because you've got to give me food. I said, I don't have to give you anything. Get out of here. And he said, what would Jesus do? Wouldn't he give, you any, wouldn't he give me food? And I just, I, I just slammed the door in his face. And I remember shaking, thinking, was it the right thing to do? You know, was it my pride or was it the right, you know, it just, how do you call those moments? How do you call them? But I remember just, just being so upset that this whole altercation had happened and I realized very quickly that, yes, I needed to give this man food. It wasn't my food and it was my pride that was getting in the way. And if he needed food, he could certainly have it. I remember opening the door of the Canaan Center and looking down the alley and he was running and I was running after him and I said, Richard, come back, come back, I'll give you food. And he said, I wouldn't take your food if it was the last morsel on earth. So that was a learning experience. I remember praying. I remember talking to Father Kinane about it. I remember talking to my husband about it. It just wouldn't go away. And then two days later, there was a knock on the door, and it was Richard. And he was all cleaned up. It was not dirty, greasy hands no longer. His hair was combed back. He was shaved. And he came in, and he said, I need to apologize to you. I'm so sorry, and I want your forgiveness, and I want God to forgive me, can we pray? Wow, what a blessing. Absolutely, we prayed, and we hugged, and we laughed, and we talked, and, 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 and uh, he got his food, and um, he got a job, actually. And he actually got married, and he runs an apartment in Des Plaines with his wife, and they have a little baby. That they adopted finally. So I mean, it's it's good things happen, but it's it's never a straight path. It's sometimes you just don't know, and that's when you have to just trust God. Um, I feel in solidarity with God when I'm serving someone in need and I'm able to connect it right away with the gospel. Um, it's a real aha moment when I see the face of Jesus in somebody who would otherwise remain faceless to me on the street when it's the incoherent um, man, homeless man that walks around downtown in the loop and I can look in his face and I can see Jesus, that's a connection. That had, I had to work and work and work at that. It doesn't just happen. I um, have to work hard not to judge or to allow myself to be manipulated all the while though trying to be the best steward I can for God's goodness. The donation monies that are given to social service ministry and the food um, you know, it's not a free-for-all. People have to go through, prove their need, and they have to, if they're going to be a long-term person through social service ministry, then we make a plan, and they have to do their part, and we do our part, and we come together and see where we are. And we also work together with other agencies in town and other churches. Center of Concern is a huge referral um, agency for social service ministry here. Um, Catholic Charities. Um, we just at a ministerial association meeting today and the churches were all talking about the same guys that are coming to the doors um, and, and what we might might not do um, together so that we're not, uh, we're not duplicating services. So there's a lot of, you know, um, there's no hard fast rules but you have to have some guidelines and the rest you just have to let go and let God um, believe in a hand up versus a hand out. I believe in empowerment, not not to enable people to continue in their in their uh, in their life the way they are, but to feel empowered and to raise themselves up. Um, I believe when you help people, you need to build relationships with them, 
so that you learn what their strengths are and you can help them build on that. And that builds dig that reserves their digni dignity. Nobody wants to be looked at as a charity case. Um, and so it's only through knowing people and finding out what their gifts are that you can learn and receive, take back from them. Um, there's a couple quotes from Mother Teresa that inspire me. Um, and those are, there is no greater sickness in the world today than the lack of love. We can do no great things, only small things with love. The hunger for love is much more difficult to remove than the hunger for bread and how. Kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. God made the world rich enough to feed all human beings. The poor do not need our sympathy and our pity. The poor need our love and our compassion. And faith in action is love. And love in action is service. Christ is hidden under the suffering appearance of anyone who is hungry, naked, homeless, dying, or alone. Love does not measure, it just gives. You know, I believe that if you, if you want peace, you have to work for justice. And I also believe that people will maybe not always believe what you do. No, I'm sorry. People won't always believe what you say, but they see what you do. And so we are called to, take, to live the works of mercy, and uh, that's what social service ministry aims to do through its programs um, and its many volunteers who participate in them. So, thank you. Do you want questions? There's any questions? Something you said that was very inspiring to me was you, it took you a long time to see Jesus in the homeless and Jesus in the um, poor. Yeah. And when I can make that connection, there's nothing like it. It doesn't happen every time. You know? But yeah, that's the goal. How do you determine who is really needy versus using uh, the money? Well, if it comes to rental assistance, um, certainly do background checks, find out who the, who the uh, landlord is, find out that the uh, property exists. I often work with um, um, Maine Township and they're able to tell me right away um, if it exists and who the landlord is. Um, we've been able to um, keep that pretty clean. Um, you know, you look at Bill, if they're on disability, you want to see that information. If, if they um, are working and they just are coming up short, you want to talk to an employer and you want to just verify their stories. There's a lot of, lot of verification that goes on. Do, do you have someone to help you with that or do you do that on your own? I do that part pretty much on my own. Um, but again, I'll network with um, the Human Needs Task Force um, Agency, Center of Concern, social workers, um, um, other churches, Catholic charities. So, you know, maybe the first time I help somebody, I'll check them out as much as I feel I need to. And if it starts to get to be a bigger problem and a bigger problem, then we'll call in and help. Because you know what? It's not a Catholic problem. You know, hunger and homelessness is not, it's, it's our whole responsibility.
a responsibility of the whole. Yes? Is it uh, just this location, or do the homeless come from other areas? Oh, they come from other areas. Um, Far away? Or? Um, no, there's some in Des Plaines. Um, there are three in, in Park Ridge that I know of right now. Uh, there are some homeless families in our school district that live in their car uh, that I'm working with right now. There's some from Niles. Um, so they're mostly suburbanites. Edison Park. Um, just all around. A lot of times they're not homeless. A lot of times they're just people who can't make the ends meet. And um, or they're on fixed incomes. Um, or a medical problem happened and has taken all their money for it. They can't pay their electric because they've didn't have really good health insurance, and so, you know, there's a choice to be made there. Um, single mothers with children. Um, so there are all kinds of different circumstances. Anybody else? Other questions? Yes. Are you full-time at this? Yes. Are you full-time? Yes. You a remarkable, wonderful story that you speak. Thank you. I, I just say, hey, we're blessed at St. Paul the Cross to have you here doing this ministry. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't do it alone without the support of this parish um, and the volunteers that I have. Um, you know, the, the food pantry can't run itself and the Sunday night suppers can't run itself. And now, I don't know if you're aware, but we're building a vegetable garden to feed the hungry um, for the centennial. And uh, that's going to take a lot of volunteers. So. You know, it's 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 not just handing somebody a check, but it's how to how to make it better in, in a lot of different ways for them, and um, it doesn't happen with just me. But thank you so much. And thanks to everybody who participates.